to the Bards FM Special Edition. This is part two of the J6 conversation with Ivan Rakin. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots, and it's Wednesday, February 1st in the year 2023. And this is part two of the Ivan Raiklin interview. Part one we did in the previous hour. If you haven't listened to that, I'd highly recommend you dig into that because he sets the basis for where we're going to go next. Ivan has done some amazing research into J6 and other political maneuvers. And what you'll find in this part two is not only do we get deeper into J6 and start to follow the rabbit holes into the international connections, but then also looking at some of the players in D.C. and what's actually going on. This man has really been deep into the back end of the D.C. sewer, and he's, as a former Special Forces commander and also an instructor at Defense Intelligence Agency, he is just on top of his game as far as putting together the picture and using established methods and solid facts. He's bringing the receipts for what he's got. So this is really important to listen to and to get a really good grasp on the moving parts and the deceit that happened in D.C. against we the people. Before we go further, it is important to keep that framing in mind, though, because these people are not interested in your well-being or my well-being. They're on a full tilt to try to crush us and try to make us comply. Their war right now is being waged on multiple fronts. One of those parts of that is to go after our food supply. They're introducing mRNA shots now into the system of food, which is devastating. What it could mean to the animal animal husbandry, what it could mean for the longevity of herds and, and livestock holdings, and also what it means for the health of human beings. In the short term, you need to have a good stock of emergency sub- supplies to transition into wherever you are, whether it's into gardening or getting other suppliers and need to have those on hand as this environment rapidly changes. That's why we have Patriot Supply. Patriots, you can hide your head in the sand or you can face the future head on. Those are your two options. If you want to remain free and self-reliant, despite whatever happens in the world, you need to get yourself enough emergency food so you can survive the coming chaos in our society. You can fully expect food shortages if everything breaks down. And if you don't already have enough food on hand, you will regret it. So do yourself a favor and go to preparewithbards.com and save $200 on a three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. They're the nation's largest preparedness company, and they're knocking $200 off the regular price of their three-month kit to help make it affordable for families who are feeling the pain of inflation right now. At this price, get one kit per person for your family. These kits are in stock and they ship fast and free. Save $200 per kit when you go to preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com. Patriots, I've said it so many times, food security is the foundation of personal sovereignty. So head on over to preparewithbards.com and take advantage of this amazing offer. Do it today. They're there. Get your food supplies up and also keep your home defense plan up. I can't stress that enough. This is a critical time. And I think where we're, we're going to hear tonight is we kind of dig into the weeds on this of how important that is. So one more call out to another great sponsor, iTarget Pro. You know how passionate I am about our Constitution and especially the Second Amendment, but just as passionate about being responsible and protecting my family. I discovered the perfect way to train with your firearm in the comfort of your own home and continue to improve your skills. It's called iTarget Pro, and this system is a game changer for me. All I did was download iTarget's proprietary app, load the laser bullet into my firearm, and start training. The system develops muscle memory, reaction speed, sight alignment, trigger control, and much more. Right now, save 10% plus get free shipping with the offer code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, when you go to itargetpro.com. 
with the cost of ammo through the roof, this is the perfect solution for you. That's the letter I, targetpro.com, itargetpro.com. The offer code is BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. This is something you definitely need. So check those out. All those links are below every podcast. So Patriots, without further ado, let's move into part two of the interview with Ivan Raiklin on January 6th and more. Question. Who is in the position, who is in the position to most benefit for two pipe bombs to be placed at the DNC and the RNC as they know that the Capitol Police Chief will have to deploy their uh, officers and then make the U.S. Capitol even more, I'm trying to think of a better term, Spartan, sparse, or unprotected, I should say. That's probably the best, better term. Unprotected. I argue it's Nancy Pelosi, so that she could have this framing of an insurrection and a breach into the Capitol. Oh my gosh, we have to focus all of our media's attention on none other than this breach and divert them from the objections that are about to take place for enough members of the House to object for a re-election. So let me pause there for now, and I want to if you have any questions, I'll flesh those out. I think this is pretty fantastic. You're mapping. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously listening very closely. I don't think I've heard anybody put this together in its pieces this effectively. And I just would add that I, I think this is you're able to do this because of your background, which I, I, I mean, we have enough in common there. This is a, <laughs> this is a very, this is very much a. Um, you use the term cutout. I've done a link analysis. Yes. So I have taught for three and a half years at the Defense Intelligence Agency uh, at the Joint Military Intelligence Training Center, the premier intelligence analysis program that our, I would argue that our intelligence community has. It's a seven-week program that teaches our U.S. junior and mid-officers as well as our international partners on intelligence analysis, which incorporates critical creative thinking, some of those components, as well as uh, you know intel support to multinational operations, and then the overview of our intelligence community. I'm no longer in that role, but the background that has you know that experience and teaching some of the structured analytic techniques that I've been able to do, I I take that experience in my personal capacity, personal time, right? Uh, take that and then apply it to the current problem set, which what is the intelligence question or the the question that we have is like, what happened on January 6th? And so taking primarily two structured analytic techniques, uh, which is link analysis and then a timeline and putting those together, you try to come up with your most probable hypothesis and then but you know or probable hypotheses and then you go through a process known as analysis of competing hypotheses which by the way all this stuff is out there in the public domain psychology of intelligence analysis is a book you can use to to do this and then ach is a methodology that's out there for everybody to to learn it and see but bottom line is i've taken that applied it to the problem set of the capital and then come up with this hypothesis now, I get it. I'm not 100% certain that this occurred, but I know exactly who needs to be asked questions and what questions that need to be asked by the new House administration, the subcommittee on J6, and then bring those people in under a subpoena so that we can fill those information gaps to see whether or not with 100% accuracy, my hypothesis is true. Because at the end of the day, it's like, I'm not trying to prove this hypothesis. We're trying to disprove it. And if there's no evidence to disprove it, then we're left with this is this is fact. So that's kind of my background and what I bring to bear with this problem set. Well, what you're also pointing out is that those people involved, the instigators, which would be Pelosi, her son-in-law and her daughter, they're also to a level schooled, at least in some of this, because that we have a we have at least a basic understanding of how to do offsite meetings in, in fairly low or at least discrete or low vis environments. We have the idea of how to identify the ground commanders. 
the basic format of yep. instructions, which is also in, in getting into a deeper level like Ray Epps and others, there is a knowledge that they're carrying that someone has trained in organizing these groups to do just that. That takes us into yep. another rabbit hole of... You, 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 wait, you bring up a, a phenomenal point that I want to stress. So our background, we understand and can identify as we're watching video, the tactical pieces that are occurring, right? And you're seeing trends, that aspect. And then the other aspect is a lot of people can do that. But then you also overlay that with the strategic legal frame that allowed them to do it. So I'm making some assumptions that people are telling the truth in order to frame this hypothesis, because the legal framing, the constitutional framing, uh, the Title Three Capitol Police Board framing allowed Nancy Pelosi to outmaneuver the nation in a way that would basically protect her and allow her to cover up anything. Because a couple of things that need to be known is that the Speaker of the House cannot be FOIA. FOIA is a process for the executive branch. So then she's protected, right, from us getting to the truth of this facilitated unlawful entry. That's another thing that, that needs to be known. The other thing is um, when I spoke with, the first time I spoke with Dave Summerall and Taylor Hansen was at CPAC. Uh, I can't remember. It was, I think it was in Florida a year or so ago. And then they told their story. And I thought to myself, I didn't understand the tactical piece like they did because, you know, one of them was right next to Ashley Babbitt. The other one has been looking at all the video. And I said, I've been researching the strategic framing of how this could happen. And still there wouldn't be any blame left with Nancy Pelosi. And when we had that meeting, it was literally the tactical and the strategic kind of met. And this is how we got to like uh, a more confidence level in this occurring. And since then, every piece of evidence has been consistent with this hypothesis, particularly with how they dealt with that J6 committee, how Nancy's office was completely off limits uh, from being interviewed by the J6 committee. It's almost as though like, they set it up so that they were untouchable so that this story would never get out. Meanwhile, they try to make that veneer of the facade of, of everybody in, being interviewed uh, so that people wouldn't continue to go down the rabbit hole of interviewing Ray Epps. One, thing, one other thing I want to talk about is when you said the FBI and Ray Epps. As we recall, early on, the FBI was called in to do, you know, what's his name, D'Antuano, the shock and awe arrests. And they put on the list, and it's still on the website. Actually, it's still on FBI's Washington field office pinned tweet. There's a picture in the third row and the third column, a picture of Ray Apps whispering into Ryan Samsel's ear when he's at the initial outside breach. So he still, he was originally on FBI's most wanted list. But here's how I suspect the conversation occurred. FBI reaches out to... The Capitol Police Board, i.e. the sergeants at arms, and they say, hey, do you want to prosecute Ray Epps? And what does the, what does the sergeant at arms say? <laughs> at the advice and direction of the Speaker of the House? Probably something like this. Oh, no, 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 no. We're not going to do a criminal referral on that individual, Ray Epps. Nor are we wanting to do a criminal referral on all of the other people that committed that unlawful entry into the Capitol because they were part of our coup. So we're not going to criminally prosecute those that helped in the Nancy Pelosi coup d'etat. We're only going to prosecute those that weren't involved in the Nancy Pelosi coup d'etat. And so for that reason, FBI, you have to remove them off of your most wanted list because you can't criminally prosecute them. Because I, I argue that, remember, the executive branch, FBI, is not able to do anything on the Capitol grounds, an Article I institution of government, without the request of the Article I branch of government authority figures, meaning the Speaker of the House on the House side or the Senate Majority Leader on the Senate side. And if you don't believe me, guess what? About, I think it was in 2012, if I'm not mistaken, so 10 years ago, the FBI went in and raided a congressman's office. And guess what the court decided? Can't do that. 
speech and debate clause, that's a separate article. That's a separate branch of government. The executive branch can't do that unless at the request of the proper authority. Did you know this, Scott? I'm familiar with that. I'm just I'm really impressed with the the depth you're bringing to this with the rules in Congress and on Capitol Hill, because this is what's giving it meat for me. What you have here right. is and a lot of people. It, it, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, it's just that we get into a lot of the ancillary outs, outside analysis, and you can do a loose link analysis and accomplish what you've done. But the depth of this doesn't weave itself together until you understand where the authorities are. It's like talking about, and just as a sidebar, I mean, it's just like talking about domestic action and not understanding the differences between Title 10 and Title 50. I mean, what you're doing here is Correct. literally weaving together the back part of this that leads you literally you know, all roads lead to Oz. Well, in this case, all roads are leading to Nancy <laughs> Pelosi, right? Right, right. Cause like it, this took a while, obviously. I mean, this, this ain't a couple hundred hours. This is probably over a thousand hours of research analysis, video, right? Tactical stuff, the strategic legal framework that literally allowed her to create this mechanism to conduct a coup. Right. I mean, but like that, that, that's what I would call it. But unfortunately, she literally leveraged all of her discretionary authority to make this happen without being like, what mechanism do we have to criminalize this activity? You really can't because it's all rests on discretionary authority of the Speaker of the House. The only mechanism that we have is to show, hey, America, this is what Nancy Pelosi did. Um, you can vote her out, but you you can't because it's a what eighty percent Democrat district, and so really there's it's public shaming and exposure, maybe censure, and ex maybe we can get to a point where we it could expel her, and then once that expulsion occurs, then we can maybe do something uh, aside from that. But like there is no legal mechanism to create consequence for this. I mean, call it for what it is. It's a coup, and under a currently captured executive branch. You can't go after a federal actor that acted on the Capitol grounds for treason. I mean, it's, it's tenuous. It's, it, it'll be a case of first impression. I'll think about how that, that would take place. But first thing we got to do is educate the nation that, I, that this probably occurred. And, and the way we get to beyond a reasonable doubt is through this new committee that will bring in these individuals with subpoena power. Uh, so that's the next step. And that's why I'm constantly going up and and communicating with the right people as I'm putting this together. And, and I think at this point, you know, putting together these things and ideas in, in a sub stack, educating enough people, and then also reeling it to the appropriate members of staff and Congress of where they should go. I think we're going to get to that point, but we're going to get there faster if more people get educated on this very complex issue of what the authorities were on January 6th who the particular actors were as we collectively crowdsource uh, all these individuals to then tee up Congress with basically the 90, 95% solution. Because one thing I'll say is you got to remember that the executive branch consists of like, for example, FBI probably consists of 10,000 people. Well, the house consists of a member of Congress that chairs a committee that has the authority to do a lot of stuff, but they only have a staff of 10 people. Okay. So yeah. And then that staff has other committees that they're on and other issues, competing issues. So like literally 10 people or five are trying to do the work in order to do the necessary body check and exposure against a completely lawless executive branch in the tens of thousands when it comes to DOJ and in the millions when it comes to the Department of Defense and also thousands, tens of thousands when it comes to the DHS. So the only way we can get to a check and balance against this lawless executive branch is for us, everybody listening to this, to do more than what you have done in the past, just slightly more. But And if you can, go, go, go to where you're uncomfortable. That's how much we need to start doing so that we can provide that societal body check against this lawless executive branch. One of the questions that draws out for me when you're going through this is who has trained these commanders? So who trained Ray Epps and who trained the Antifa BLM 
leader. When we watched their op- I've, I've looked, I've went down this rabbit hole. I, I can briefly talk about, yeah, I mean, a I, bit I, about I, it. I think it's important because when we look at the events in Portland, which occurred approximately a year prior, thank you. <laughs> that was your gut feeling tells you part of the answer. <laughs> it is. Well, I, I mean, we have the execution of the kid on the street. The, the, I mean, that's a big one, by the way. That execution of that prayer warrior on the street in Portland, that wasn't just some random hit. Those guys were trained by somebody who has intelligence training of how to do a, a in, in public assassination. That's like right either out of the cartels or it's coming out of our intelligence service. And then when you go further, you, you go down this way and you look at how they coordinated their events on the, on the attack on the federal building. I mean, these were coordinated events. They were being taught how to use incendiaries. I'm going to tell you, this brings back so many memories of, of Wardak province in Afghanistan where the Chinese are, are bargaining and teaching underwater t- uh, methods to detonate IEDs in exchange for Taliban security while they exploited the minerals of copper in that area. I mean, this is where this whole thing starts to lead again. I think your statement right there basically answers what I think is the, is the proper answer to this question. So a couple things. Uh, so if you take that ideological subversion component, I mean, for those out there that are Green Berets or former Green Berets, we're taught to be unconventional warfare experts. So knowing that seven phase model, and you can look this up online, it's one of the components is that you're going into another country to train, advise, and equip that insurgent force from the current government's perspective so that they become the power and overtake the power uh, of that government that happens to be what's called inimical or not friendly to U.S. interests. So what's what's to say that China's not doing the same thing in the United States? So if you take that framework, why wouldn't China essentially wittingly, unwittingly, and through its capture of institutions to include probably senior level officials within the Democrat Party, particularly when it comes to the, the California, New York, and Illinois delegations, and maybe even Oregon, right? Governors. Oh, Oregon's controlled. There's no question. So then why wouldn't you, through your economic might, influence, train, advise, and equip a surrogate force, in this instance known as Antifa and BLM, to do your bidding of creating sowing Remember the, the 2016 sowing discord in the United States by the Russians? Why not take the Russian attempted model and then improve on that as a Chinese Communist Party and then do that in the United States? I argue that that's probably occurring, occurring when you follow the money, uh, second and third order uh, money flows. You're probably seeing this. And then you're seeing Democrat leaders that are providing bail fundraising for those that are committing these terrorist acts and then you have a compliant doj fbi that's also providing top cover for their beloved biden criminally family syndicate and their surrogates right absolutely so that's what's going on uh portland all right so ray apps if you read the transcript when he testified so Ray Epps supposedly was, I believe, an oath keep was it oath keeper, or one of those organizations, right? And in Arizona, and then he broke, yeah, he broke away from what's his name, Stuart Rhodes, right after something happening in Portland. So a long line of questions did not take place in that transcript that should have should have been and then finding out his relationships it was uh something related to blm i can't recall right now i have to review the transcript but what happened during that time and then at what period of time if at all did he start to communicate with anybody from blm so like a lot of questions need to be asked of did he communicate with john sullivan like who trained these guys your your question so John Sullivan, I don't know who trained this guy, but if you look at Psyop the Steel, the movie made by 
Millie Weaver. <clears throat> if you go to her website, I think it's Millennial Millie, something like that.com. She wrote, she made a movie called PSYOP The Steel, which is a story about January 6th and some of the components there. I, I don't agree fully 100% with her analysis, but a lot of her footage and her analysis is pretty strong. Uh, there's some there's some assumptions that I would disagree with probably, but anyway, it's something to take a look at. <clears throat> and it talks about John Sullivan and his brother, where they're basically both sides of <clears throat> on the opposite spectrum of the political ideology. And their dad is some senior former senior military official, uh, and they're possibly a line of investigation that needs to occur to find out who trained this guy Sullivan. Because obviously he was involved in the Summer of Love and he was involved in January 6th. Like, it's it's clear. It's clear as day he's there. He's been indicted. And they've been delaying his court trial uh, for years. His, I think, hearing is in October of 2023 before Judge Emmett Sullivan, supposedly no relation, <clears throat> purportedly. <laughs> of course. So, it's a good it's a good question to take a look at who's training these guys but one could argue that he was a marine uh he was approached i i just don't know the details but i just kind of shared some of the things that that i do remember reading right there you've hit on something that's really interesting because you just said he's a marine and i think you and i both know that that's out of character to say the least I mean, typically, it's, it represents, sadly, the new core, not the old core, because once a Marine, always a Marine, and somewhere in there, you're, there's, a, there's a bonding with the principles of American values that never breaches. But the new core, the newer core, has become much more liberal, and in the process, have become much more infected with politics and easier to be bought out, sadly. Right, it's but not that's only the a, Marine Corps, it's, it's more than that. It's, it's our entire federal executive branch. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party's ambassador is in the White House, and he's appointing the acting Secretary of Defense, Austin, who then is influencing, remember the stand down and all that? He's influencing the entire institution to do the woke bidding of China, because at the end of the day, if any U.S. company and every, any U.S. institution or Western institution wants access to that 1.4 billion person market, in China, they have to do the CCP's bidding. And that bidding probably sounds something like, hey, if you want to make money, board member of Raytheon, Lloyd Austin, and you want all of your uh, networks to make money, whether it's big tech, big media, big pharma, big corporations in the US, you have to do the following. Destroy your country from within. And that looks like conniving racist training known as CRT, in your school systems. That looks like mandating this wokeism and the mutilation of humans in your, in, your, in your force. So, for example, what training is the Department of Defense doing? They're promoting the mutilation. And if you don't like it, then guess what? You're considered bad. And so they're, they're, they're making... They're changing the definitions of everything where yes is no, no is yes, and it's confusing everybody. Uh, and it's, it's driving your most capable, law-abiding, constitutionally sound individuals in the force out. I'm one of those. Like I'm just one of those examples. I declined battalion command because I wasn't going to be complicit in a few things. One, I wasn't going to be a sub-agent of China because the current resident is a Chinese agent, right? I wasn't going to uh, comply with the emergency use authorized medical rape on the force. I wasn't going to participate, was not going to bend a knee on that. And then number three, I wasn't going to be advocating and promoting for the mutilation of the force that lowered its uh, readiness into a, a, an abysmal level of literally destroying the force, tethering this back to the ideological subversion of Yuri Bezmenov that was articulated in that interview in 1984, where defense and economy were the two institutions that uh, would be targeted for destruction in a country. Well, let's look at the defense sector. 
If you want to destroy America's national security, you create this EUA, uh, you know, myocarditis making heart exploding mandate within DOD first and foremost. And it's been the one institution where they still continue to have a shadow policy to focus in on destroying folks. And even when you mentioned the Marines, Catherine Arnett, Lance Corporal in Japan, hasn't been heard, heard from from her family or anybody in a week because she was placed in the brig for refusing to bend the knee on being medically raped by Lloyd Austin and his progeny. Where is she? Where is Congress? Where is anybody? I reached out to her squadron commander demanding that he do the right thing because history is not going to be on his side if he's going to go against uh, the will of Congress, which just passed a law that said you can't punish anyone for not participating in the medical rape, the EUA clot shot. So you get you get me excited, man, on some of these topics because I'm heavily invested and involved in pushing back against this. And that's that was literally my one-hour conversation with Tucker Carlson a few weeks ago that he aired uh, as it applies to the wokeism and the mandates from the DOD that's destroying our national security, our, 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 our DOD. Oh, it's destroying it. It's devastating. And from a, we have a mutual friend that just sent me DMED data, and w- this is across the board. Yep. We're, we have we have we have depleted our operational capability in aviation, special operations, and general leadership, not as a result of retirement, but because of this clot shot by twenty percent in force strength, in force capability. That, imagine if we went. To, if, imagine if we went to war and twenty percent of our forces decimated. Guess what? We are currently at war, and the and the federal government is not acting like it. Well, the, China has declared war on us and has been conducting and waging it. Well, we're at war by proxy through our through our federal government. I mean, I think that's the that's the the optic that I push regularly is for people to realize that a large part of our institution has willfully and ex- accepted a direction of warfare, whether by proxy. Actually, you- yeah. Against you the made American me think people. of something. Yeah. This is where we need this is maybe where we go next. The Congress has the constitutional authority to declare war. How about Congress declares war on our executive branch? That would be a brilliant move. Because that's literally what's happened is the executive branch has declared war on the people. And they they are and they can be established. It can be established well enough, especially with the Hunter Biden laptop and these other events. Especially when we start running that rabbit hole, it's not going to take long to build a case that they're no longer an agent of the U.S., but they are now working as a proxy of a of a known foreign enemy. That makes them a treasonous branch and now puts the onus back. I think that even goes back to Federalist Papers of the part of that establishment of the three branches and why there was the check and balance. Because Congress has the power to levy war, not the executive branch. Correct. So that's another uh, homework assignment for me. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> to make sure that we get this to the right folks. Uh, and then which committee would be charged with that uh, that declaration? I mean, you have this CCP committee uh, headed up by uh, uh, Gallagher, Congressman Gallagher. You have the Armed Services Committee, which... The chairman, I'm going to actually see him later today. Uh, I'm going to mention that uh, now that we're discussing this. So this is great. This is timely. I mean, the other component, I talked about the economic stuff. Like what it, what happened during these CCP-19 policies? And this is where I need to cover another topic that is probably another two-hour topic. But let's go back and, and ask ourselves, who was the ccp 19 task force lead in the white house it was mikey pence so he was the boss of anthony fauci uh he was the boss of debbie burks and the shadow governor boss was jared kushner so jared kushner and mike pence were the one they they were the final decision makers and uh, on who would be allocated what contract to go ahead and distribute the ventilators distribute the remdesivirs of the world right the uh the pcr eua pcr ineffective tests the the face toilets 
the asphyxiation, you know, uh, devices for people's faces. And they were the ones that decided who got what. And they were the ones that decided on the shutdowns and the lockdowns because the CCP-19 task force was the one that had the meetings and coordinated with all the governors. And they were the ones involved. In, like, How much money did they make off of the, their, their decision-making, meaning Pence and Jared Kushner? I suspect that when you start to peel the onion, while all the Democrat governors went ahead and shut things down, which Republican governors were the ones that basically replicated the Democrat shutdowns? I'll name a few. And those names are going to ring some bells here as it applies to the illegally certified election. Number one, Chris Sununu in New Hampshire. His dad was the chief of staff for George H.W. Bush. Keep that in the back of your mind. How about Governor Devine of Ohio? How about Governor Kemp of Georgia? How about Governor Ducey of Arizona? Remember those names, Scott? Oh, yes. So it, it could be coincidence or it could be nothing is coincidental, right? Uh, so those are names that I've been looking into and then their relationship with Mike Pence. And those names are going to come up as we, you know, once, if we want to talk about at some point, essentially how Mike Pence after this primary or the midterm season and what happened in the primaries in 2022, he has full stop. And I wrote a sub stack on this. He currently has 275 electoral votes on lock. Mike Pence does. Even though I know and agree that he polls at 0%, his favorability is 0%, his charisma is 0%, no one likes him. The electoral system in it is in his pocket for 275 electoral votes. And I explain that state by state. Because in order to get 275 electoral votes, you have to own and uh, have loyalists in positions of discretionary power to be able to allocate those 275 electoral votes. So we're getting a, a, a rhetoric of a heavy one coming out of the Trump camp that there's absolutely they were going to run. There's going to be it's going to be 2024, the return of Trump. And this all plays well for those in the, the world of shallow thinking. But the reality well, is I, I tried to argue like, you know, long range planning. So if you want to win the nomination and the presidency in 2024, you have to have 270 electoral votes. Let's like reverse plan that. How do you get 270 electoral votes? You have to have your government. You have to have in place a governor, a legislature, and depending on the state, a secretary of state slash attorney general or the equivalent in place that are the people that decide how those electoral votes from that state are allocated that are basically in your camp, right? Yes. I mean, is that, wouldn't you agree? I agree. So I mean, this how, is... do you, how do you do that? Well, then you take it one step below that. Let's take a look at the trifecta states of each party. So when you took it, look, take a look at trifecta states where literally one party owns all of those things that I just mentioned, and then the other party owns all those things that I mentioned, you can say safely that it doesn't matter which person is nominated from a particular party that individual is going to get and secure those electoral votes from that particular state would you agree yes okay so then using 2020 as the baseline where 232 electoral votes were allocated to a person with a pulse from that party and then 227 for the democrats and then the rest of them are the the swing if you will and then factoring in what has occurred since 2020 to make adjustments here's my analysis so in georgia actually let, let, let's let's do it this way in virginia there was a vote and that state kind of switched right it switched from democrat to republican you got yunkin in office and then you have the electoral system. The House is Republican. And particularly if the Senate flips as well this year, you're going to have into 2024 a Republican stronghold state that will probably set the frame so that a Republican 
gets those 11 electoral, or excuse me, 13 electoral votes from Virginia. Agreed? Yes. Now, is Glenn Youngkin a Trump guy? Or is he probably a Mike Pence guy? I'll answer that question <laughs> with the following. During election night, Mark Short, Mike Pence's chief of staff, was at the Yunkin election night party. Okay? Yunkin was also seen... a, a guest lecturer at the WEF, by the way. Yeah, that, that's another component. <laughs> so this, this is... All right, let me go into a little deeper. So we have Mark Short, Mike Pence's chief of staff. The only time he has been seen after the illegally certified election from 2021, uh, January 6th, uh, basically show up to any event. And then later on during the inauguration of Yunkin, you saw Paul Ryan and Ronna Romney sitting together as the VIP attendees. So what would be your analysis? Do you think the Republican Party is going to be swayed in the direction of a Mike Pence or a Donald Trump electoral allocation. We can go with primary. Mike Pence. Yeah, I, I, I would agree because that's what that's the data points that I'm using. That's not to mention that Yunkin, Carlisle Group co-CEO. Uh, remember that the co-founder was the one that, uh, well, that's like the Bush, right? The Bush Cheney Carlisle Group. That is the same Carlisle co-founder that David Rubenstein that invested a large amount of money into Staple Street Capital in October of 2020 to go ahead and purchase Dominion Voting System, which, by the way, has one third of the electoral machines in Virginia, which possibly had a play in making sure that Glenn Young in 2021. Wasn't Carlisle Group started by a group of former high intel guys like MI5, MI6, FBI, and CIA? I haven't looked at the background details of it. I wouldn't be surprised, though. Yeah. When you say former CIA, you got to remember that George H.W. was the director of the CIA, right? Oh, yeah. No, I'm it's it's uh, that's part of our insidious cancer. Yeah. So anyway, that's 13 electoral votes that go to. That are, are taken away from those from the Democrats, right, from the 227, putting them at what, 222. If you want to write this down, what is that? 214. And then allocating to the 232 that puts them at 245, right? Mm -hmm. On the Republican side. Then let's move down to Georgia. You got 16 electoral votes. What happened there? Mike Pence endorsed Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger. Are, are those votes going to be going to Trump in the primary? Are they going to set the frame to make sure that Trump wins the primary in Georgia? Or are they going to make sure that Mike Pence does. I mean, that's a rhetorical question, obviously. So that's 16 electoral votes. That puts Pence at 261, right? Let's move up to Pennsylvania. They're no longer at 20. They're now at 19 electoral votes. So what's going to happen up there? I think the agreement was with the Republican Governors Association that uh, they're going to do everything in their power to make sure that Mastriano loses so that he can't appoint his own Secretary of State, which then means that Mastriano would set the frame for a Donald Trump 2024 electoral allocation for Pennsylvania. So instead, they agreed that it's going to remain with Democrats so that Pennsylvania stays with Democrats. Let's go to some of the other states. Let's move west to Wisconsin. Wisconsin, the entity that owns the electoral process is called the Wisconsin Election Commission, and they're appointed by the Speaker of the House. Robin Voss is the Speaker of the House. Why was I the only person trying to help primary Robin Voss in 2022, Scott? And then Mike Lindell finally jump on board. Because if we would have primaried Robin Voss and replaced him with, oh, I don't know, Adam Steen, that would have meant that there would have been a new Speaker of the House. Possibly the elections and campaigns chairwoman, Janelle Branchin, to become the Speaker of the House, which would have then appointed members of the Wisconsin Election Commission, which would have been the ones that would have decided on how to allocate those 10 electoral votes for Wisconsin. But because President Trump 
and his advisors did not jump in and endorse Adam Steen for the primary race until a month into the election when it was almost already over. Adam Steen lost that primary to Robin Voss by 260 votes. Because of that mistake, 10 electoral votes are not going to be going to Trump. They're going to be going to Robin Voss's uh, fearless leader, I should say toxic, feckless, stone-cold coward, Mike Pence. That puts him at 271. And then I already said 275, didn't I? Yep. Because in New Hampshire, Chris Sununu, who's a rabid anti-Trumper, Republican in New Hampshire, uh, uh, the Secretary of State is going to be, uh, is the same Secretary, uh, is the Deputy Secretary of State for the last 20 years, who's now the Secretary of State, uh, is going to be the ones that allocate those four electoral votes from New Hampshire. And I would suspect that they're going to say, see, New Hampshire is not a MAGA state, it's a rhino state, and that's why we're allocating our four electoral votes to Mike Pence. It's not because Chris Sununu is loyal to the Bush-Cheney family at all, or friends with Pence. Oh, no, nothing to see there. So that's where you get your 275 electoral votes, because Arizona was just sent over to the Democrats because they installed Hobbs, similar how, how they did it in Pennsylvania. And then Michigan, same thing. They sent it over to the Democrats with those electoral votes. And then Nevada, same thing. So that, that's basically the, the contested states and then coupled with the New Hampshire and then Virginia dynamic that explains how I think, although I don't want it to be the case, how 275 electoral votes are going over to Pence. Because his people and his lackeys and his network own that 270 electoral votes. Now, please, rebut anything I said. No, I'm not going to rebut it, actually. I'm just going to. I think where we'll start to close this down for today is is a is a framing. Charlie Kirk spoke in yesterday or day before. Very surprising break from convention, and at near the end of his speech, he completely destroyed the GOP. He outed them for their corruption, their disconnection, and basically told people, "If you're voting for the GOP, you're wasting your vote." This is an important break because Charlie Kirk carries a lot of weight with a, right. a, a youthful audience, especially an, an emerging independent audience. And I, I see this as the stepping stone of what you just mapped out as an, a collapse or a necessity to break into a third party, which Trump campaign has been very apprehensive to do. So this is where I want to kind of wrap up with this framing of a question. What you just mapped out there at the current state of the union, the current climate especially at a cultural and social level, will tip us into, in my opinion, a revolution or breakup of the states. I don't think the country can endure another criminal election without having severe reprisals either by the people or at the state level to either secede or go to arms. What's your thoughts on that and the pathway ahead in order to try to create an, an environment where we can start to see some election integrity return? Phenomenal question. So two parts. The first part, I'm going to address the Charlie Kirk component. Absolutely agree with you that we're in a position right now where, like I said, I mentioned earlier, pretty much the entire Democrat Party is captured. And a good portion of the Republican Party, particularly the leadership, is captured. And I want to specify who that is. Uh, Mitch McConnell, obviously, President Trump has called that out. But to a lesser degree, there, there, there could be, I don't know yet, but there is definitely counterintelligence, massive counterintelligence vulnerabilities of Kevin McCarthy. Okay, And then you also have recently last week, you had a RNC chair race that basically keeps the Romney ccp camp in place that's amidst a poll that put mike lindell his support of the people in the poll is double the other the other two candidates in that race combined for rnc chair so the leadership of the republican party at the political level and at the institutional federal level 
is not reflective of the demands of the people. And the demands of the people and our influence and leverage is only growing because if you look at where the attention is of the people, it is moving away from the institutional legacy disinformation platforms, whether it be your fake books, right? And then it's progeny, whether it be your you know, LinkedIn, your search engines of the commie tubes, right? Whether it be legacy media, the faux news, the commie news network and the MSDNC, people are off ramping, coming onto shows like yours and then the Patriot Network that are more longer form, deeper dive analytic uh, platforms that expose that corruption. And so they're like on their last throes of holding on and clinching on to power. Okay. So with that in mind, the second component, I still am optimistic that while it would be nice, it would be much quicker to resolve our current situation with what you are arguing could possibly take place, meaning the breakup of the union, going into a more uh, mindset and model of 1776 meets 1860s meets the 1960s, which very well could take place. I still think that we were able to sufficiently claw back the House of Representatives and we were sufficiently, and we saw that publicly in the speaker's race and maybe for another time in details. But what we saw for that entire week was literally, while only a, a small minority of the House of Representatives Republican Conference, you know, the 222, and of those, there are about, there were what I call the real team six, and then the terrific 20 and a half. And then by you know, a greater margin that you have 46 members of the House Freedom Caucus or 53, depending on how you count it. Bottom line is that the people were behind real team six to guarantee that they would protect those six members if they were to push back to regain the House back to the people, which was completely captured and lost over the last two years. So like I'm optimistic. We have seen massive amounts of wins, even though we have the minority in the house, we were able to still retake the house to the previous rules before Nancy Pelosi. And we need to continue that amount of escalating pressure. Now that we have access to the house, now that we have the media platforms that we have, I think we can continue to, to increase and regain territory to strengthen and embolden the broader freedom caucus so that, that they essentially supplant and overtake the broader party so that we can take over the party nationally, state by state. And there's going to be an election for the Republican Party of Florida uh, election coming up in February. So we can start to take things over so that we can do that necessary body check against the executive branch. And that's why, you know, understanding our strategic framework, that is why I'm singularly personally focused on emboldening the House of Representatives by committee so that they do what I just kind of described. And if anybody wants to help out in that, by all means, I'm on Substack. I'm on Telegram. Reach out. So where can they find you on Substack and Telegram? IvanRakeland.substack.com. And uh, my Telegram is t.me forward slash IvanRakeland, R-A-I-K-L-I-N. And uh, I actually, I just started my own show with uh, Brandon House over there on Lendell TV and WVW. I kind of do a, a daily report. It's, it's the Rakeland Report. Uh, I give an update of basically of what I'm doing, who I'm interacting with, and the developments uh, as it specifically applies to the House and, 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 and the body check against the federal government, you know, through the weaponization of government committee, judiciary. So uh, I'm going to be in the mix. And more people want to get involved and learn how to do that. They can, you know, read the sub stack, interact with me uh, or see kind of my up daily update. Well, Ivan, this has been a great interview. We always close with a prayer and if it's okay, I'll do a prayer. Absolutely. That'd be phenomenal. Father, we want to thank you for this time and this man and the efforts that he's doing and just trying to find a pathway forward that will, expel this corruption and reset a moral framework to get us back to our constitutional intent 
and a country that was truly designed to have you on the throne above us and, and the government subordinate to the will of the people. Father, these are difficult times, and so we do pray for all of those that hear these sorts of conversations to be in, awakened, to have the desire to step in and to realize that this is time to, to take a stand, to literally be heard and to make sure that our voices are heard boldly and to do so with that strength in our on the rock of faith and knowing that as we speak these words into the nation and into those hearts, that we're also speaking on behalf of kingdom. So we ask that you'll continue to bless Ivan and all that he's doing, guide him and protect him, and we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, my brother. What a great conversation. We're going to do more of these, just so you know. That's only the, we're only scratching the surface with all the research that I've done. I don't know of anybody else that has done this level of detail. Maybe you can tell me. No, not like this. This is why I was very impressed. I was very much enjoyed today, especially the January 6th framing and those rabbit holes that that leads to. Because I think what you've done a good job here is showing that when we get to January 6th, if we start to pull those threads, we're going to end up in all of the places we need to be. And it's going to yep. start at Pelosi's desk and go right down to intelligence services and, and foreign influence. I think this is going to be a big one. Oh, yeah. Massive. I literally did did a planned spreadsheet of which each executive, legislative, uh, by committee, by name of individual, of what they should be doing to showcase to the country of an illegally certified election. And then down to the state level. I laid out the entire plan. They've been ignored me. Trump is not the strength of leader that we thought he was. Number one, he's a good showman. Two, he's surrounded by spineless and feckless fools to a large degree. Yep. And his, his spiritual advisors are more about making sure that they can continue with their televangelism rather than doing their damn job. And that's a critical right, one. Right, and that's exactly, that's why like, I'm stepping into this because we, we, we're right now in our country, we lack leadership. And like, I don't want to take any leadership role. I would rather support somebody that is in a, like, he's the best leverage we have right now. And so it, it's easier to get him to be more assertive and aggressive than anybody else to come out. No, that's a, that's a, right? that's a correct assessment. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with that. I mean, when I talk about earlier, when I talk about my frustrations with Trump, I mean, they, they have to do with like this clot shot thing is just insanity. I mean, this is bio. It's, it's horrible. I mean, it's because Mike Pence and Jared Kushner were the ones that advised him. And unfortunately, if he goes after Jared, it's indirectly going after Ivanka. So he's in this compromised position because of Jared's activities. That is such a good point. We could carry this conversation on all day, but we definitely have to do it and do it again soon. I just want to thank you for a great interview today. It was awesome. And I really look forward to having many more conversations like this. This has been enlightening and your research is impeccable. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. I'll I'll come back whenever. All right. God bless you, man. Thank you. God bless. Patriots, that was Ivan Raiklin. And just uh, impressive amount of research that he's done and what he can lay out here in developing a picture of all the things that are connected and how this is all played out and how they've set this up, they meaning those in the senior ranks of power, so that they're effectively untouchable. There is... And there is a two-tier sense of justice, and that's because we're an occupied country. We are occupied by a corporate entity that houses itself in D.C. It's the Corporation of America that is then tied and controlled by other factions outside this nation, including the Vatican, Bank of London, and our friends and dear friends, China, CCP, who have been the position in the position of where they want the power to shift to. So we are in a state of war. We have been for a long time. This is a critical moment. The more that we push to wake people up, the more important it's going to be. This cannot be solved by a handful of people. It's going to need people to continue to wake up and take a stand. And the most important part about this is to defy, not comply. Defy, not comply. You have to do this fearlessly. You've got to have your feet solid on that rock of faith. You have to trust in Father God and you have to understand that we are going to defy not to comply. So thank you for being here tonight. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. 
but we are here in this time and this place for just such a time as this. We are at war, so walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Subdue. <laughs> Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. And good night to everyone. Oh, I want to feel something I just want to breathe again Dive into the deepest end Oh, I want to feel something Let me get back in